Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Mark McGettigan to discuss all things fantasy football. Mark, welcome to the show. Yeah, cheers for cheers to the invite, Connor. I've been looking forward to this. I know you've been trying to get me for a while, so I said we'll do it during international break when I get a bit of a breather because that, that those couple of weeks before pre-season, first couple of weeks of the season are always very, very intense. So it's, it's good to be able to catch my breath now during an international break. I used to... I used to dread international breaks like like most fancy managers, but I look forward to them now. <laughs> I'm sure that's something we'll touch upon throughout the show. But um, anyways, Mark, we're, we begin by asking everybody that comes on the podcast, I suppose, where did their football upbringing begin? And yourself is no different. So I'm curious, where did it all start? Yeah, so I mean, I, I grew up in Donegal, a uh, small, small village called Glenties, which is a uh, a Gaelic football stronghold, so it was very, you know, as a, as a kid, you know, I was always soccer first, Gaelic second, you know, I, I was never as good as at the Gaelic as, as some of my siblings were, so, but it was it was tricky because there was no real soccer clubs around, you had to travel at least, you know, 30, 40 minutes to get to get to a soccer club, and I kind of missed out on that as a kid, um, but I was always, always a big fan, you know, I was always match of the day from, from a young age, you know, every Saturday night, whether it be, you know, recorded, I, I remember having you know, video, video recording tapes of, of match of the day. I remember one in particular when, when Solskjaer scored four goals against Nottingham Forest. So I was very much always watching, you know, the highlights. You know, never really had Sky Sports and stuff in the house at, at a young age. So it was always just highlights and, and maybe Champions League and stuff like that midweek. So that was where it began, really. Um, and I guess, you know, the, the usual, you know, FIFA uh, with friends and then... In particular, Championship Manager kind of took over my life. Uh, me and a good friend of mine used to play religiously hours upon hours of Championship Manager and Football Manager. And I remember we used to go home at maybe first and second year of secondary school. We used to go home at lunchtime. You'd have that hour to get a, a bit of Championship Manager. I don't think there'd be any food eating, or at least it would be something you could you could eat while you're while you're playing. And, and we'd forget to go back to school sometimes because you just get engrossed in the game. So yeah, that's that's where it started for me. Really, was all the, the Football Manager Championship Manager games, and that's kind of what led on to the fantasy then. And I suppose that's the perfect segue, Mary. Where exactly did fantasy football fit into all of this? Yeah. So again, thinking back, um, you know, again. I've been playing for a very, very long time. I'm trying to pinpoint maybe the first time fantasy ever kind of came into my life. And I think it was actually World Cup 2002 when, when Ireland were there, uh, Korea and Japan, the famous Roy Keane saga. I remember my my two uncles have a pub in Donegal and I remember being in there before the tournament started and there was there was these sheets of paper flying around uh, and it was some kind of a football game for the tournament. And it was basically a list of an A4 sheet of paper with a list of players and their prices. And you had to pick, I think it was five midfielders and five forwards for a budget, I don't know, 60 million or something for the World Cup in 2002. And someone said, do you want to play? And that, that was it. So I was, I think I was 11 at the time. Um, so I, I was bitten by the fantasy bug at 11. So it's it's no wonder that I'm, you know, full-time fantasy now. It was probably, probably meant to be, but I, I probably didn't see that until now when I look back. So yeah, that's how it started. I remember players like having players like Rocky Santa Cruz, Michael Balak for that tournament. Um, I know Matt Holland was in my team when he scored, I think it was against Cameroon in that game. So yeah, that was, that was, that was the start of it. And then I think, so that was 2002. And I think it was around 2002, 2003 that the fantasy game, the official game as it is now kind of came online. And it was, it was a friend of mine who actually, you know, found it 
the guy who, who I used to play championship manager with, and he sent me on a link. It probably wasn't a link in those days. It was probably word of mouth. He says, check out this, this website. And I remember we started from the very early days. We didn't know what we were doing. We were very young, but um, we've been playing it ever since. And, you know, 19 years later, fantasy football has become your career and so much more than your passion. You know, it's a lifestyle, really, for many people, including yourself. But I suppose, obviously not back then, 2002, you could never have foreseen, you know, work, you know, having a career in fantasy football. But I suppose, were there any moments along the way where you started, where you began to realise, you know, things are getting serious here? I can cultivate, you know, more than a passion out of this. Yeah, it's probably... It's probably four or five years ago now. I remember, I think my Twitter account, I only set it up in 2015. You know, there was a lot of fancy accounts on Twitter before I even arrived. I remember there's a lot of big fancy accounts now on Twitter, but I even remember when I joined, there was accounts that did have, you know, over 50,000 followers, which was which was pretty big at the time. Um, and I was, when I joined Twitter in 2015, it was off the back of my two best ever fantasy finishes. So it was two top 500s back to back. And I think I joined at the right time. And then people, you know, I, I put a few articles together uh, for, for certain websites in the in preseason that year. And it just blew up. You know, I had two or 3,000 followers within days before the season started. And then when I managed to have the third top 500 finish, that's when, when things really started to click into place. That's where you get people want to write for you, wanting you to do guest podcasts and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was really where it took off. And at the time in life, I, I was kind of going around in circles. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I did a degree in business and management in DIT in Dublin for four years. And then my wife and I went to Abu Dhabi to teach for two years. So I was teaching maths to, uh, you know, six and seven-year-olds in, in Abu Dhabi. Then we moved to Scotland to do the postgrad in primary school teaching. Uh, so that's how we ended up here. So, I mean, I only did a about two or three months of the teaching and I decided it wasn't for me and I quit. Uh, she continued, she's a she's a fully qualified teacher now and, and she loves it. But it was just I just knew it wasn't for me. Uh, and that kind of put me at a at a crossroads and I went down a few different paths in, in Scotland for for a year or two, you know, different jobs, office jobs, retail management jobs. And I was I was never really really happy in any of them and I never really lasted very long in them for that reason. But at the same time the fantasy stuff was starting to kind of grow a little bit more on, on social media and I was doing a bit more work, you know, a bit more freelance stuff. Started doing a bit of social media management for a few, you know, fantasy Twitter accounts as well. And then it got to a point where I, was, I said, you know what, I might just I might just go for this. Uh, I might take the plunge and see how it goes. Uh, people are obviously enjoying the podcast. There's lots of numbers out there. I could probably, you know, get a few of them on board as subscribers in some way. And I was lucky because at the time uh, I didn't have a mortgage, didn't have kids, you know, living costs were really really low so and my wife was very supportive as well she's like you know what you're not happy and all, and all these other jobs why don't you just go for it and, and the worst thing the worst case scenario it doesn't work out and you can always go back and do something else you know you've got your degree there to fall back on so that's kind of you know it was it was it was scary to take the dive in and it, and it did take a while you know that first year or two of full time it was slow uh but thankfully now it's it's got to a level where it's you know hopefully sustainable uh, and it's going really well Testament to your own hard work, and I suppose the tremendous size of the football industry and growth of the industry over the past 20 years that someone like yourself can go in and cultivate a niche and make a career in the football industry. I struggle to think of perhaps any other sports where that would have been possible. Obviously, we've seen with American football, we know fantasy football in the States is huge. 
But apart from that, I can't really envisage any other sport. But I suppose, Mark, if we're going to get into the particularities of fantasy football, I mean, you've regularly finished in the top 500 over the past 10 years. I suppose many people, you know, listening to this podcast would want to hear what exactly are the key principles behind building a successful fantasy football team? Yeah, I think the, the, I think the most important thing I always say to people who are new to the game is you've got to figure out what kind of manager you are. Uh, and that can take time. That can take a good year or two of playing the game to really you know, experiment with stuff. For example, early transfers versus late transfers and, and stuff like you know, different approaches to captaincy and stuff. So I think it always comes down to your personality as well. You've got to kind of have a play style that matches your personality. Otherwise, you're going to have a bit of a conflict. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a very laid back person. Uh, I don't take too many risks in life. I know I took a risk going into fantasy, but that was one of the few ones. So that reflects my play style. You know, I'm very patient. You know, I don't take many, you know, point hits and stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, it's you've got to figure out, you know, what kind of manager you are. And then you kind of evolve from there. Um, and it's it's a common, you know, it's cliche, play your own game. But, you know, that is the most important thing, because if you if you listen to loads of podcasts and you read loads of articles and that starts to influence your decisions, you know, you'll get away from 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 what you are as a manager. And that's when things things tend to go wrong. And if we are to suggest, you know, fantasy football players are professionals, you know, you would have that traditional professional versus personal conflict in terms of you may be a United supporter and may want to fit in Bruno and Ronaldo into your team, but your head may dictate otherwise. I mean, have you refined any processes or systems over the years, Mark, to make sure you're not necessarily surviving game week by game week? Yeah, and that was a good point you made about the the conflict when you're a, when you're a fan because I'm a Manchester United fan and and that's one of the the most important aspects. If you want to do well at fantasy, you've got to you've got to put that to one side. You know, I very often have three Liverpool players in my in my team, and quite often over the years, actually recently since Sir Alex Ferguson left, there's no Manchester United players. Thankfully, that's changing now with with the likes of Ronaldo. And it's it's funny, I'm actually in conflict this week as we speak. You know, I'm, I've managed to get tickets for. For Ronaldo's homecoming against against Newcastle, and it, it shouldn't be a factor in my decision making, but it is. You know, I feel like I can't go to Old Trafford now and not own him. Uh, you know, the reason I'm going there is to see him. I've got Bruno on my team at the moment, so I need to decide: do I do I sell Bruno for a minus four to get the main man Ronaldo and make him captain? So it's uh, all those little things are they can, they can complicate things. I suppose for those managers too. I mean, we're speaking about just one decision in particular. But we've seen a lot of people online on Twitter, you know, pre-season debating over how to get as so many, you know, high-scoring assets into their team. I'm talking about your Trent Alexander-Arnold's, Bruno's, your Salas, Harry Kane even now. I mean, question is, I suppose, how many of these high-value assets could you possibly have in one team? Yeah, good question, because I think we're at a, we're at a crossroads in FPL at the moment going into game week four. The common approach, I guess, has been, you know, Trent is in most teams and then you've probably got two big hitting attackers. You know, Salah and Bruno were the popular ones game week one. Now you've got Lukaku, you've got Kane, you've got Ronaldo. So people are trying to fit in three. Uh, I don't think you can fit in four of the, the 10 million plus guys. Um, but I think, what you know, I'm seeing it already this week. There's a lot of traditional managers like myself that as soon as we see a team with Trent plus three, let's say Ronaldo, Lukaku, Salah, it, it hurts our eyes. You know, we're, we're naturally, as, as long-term players of the game, we think that's an unbalanced team. 
but I think then you've got to be open um, and you've got to you've got to be flexible as an FPL manager, even if you've been playing it for a long time. And who's to say shoehorning these, you know, three of these big guys in won't actually be the way to play the game. So, you know, I'm going to be wrestling with that myself. Um, so I still think, you know, if I was to wildcard this week, which I'm not doing, but if I was, I still think I'd be on my traditional, probably Trent would stay, Salah would stay, and then I'd have to decide between one of Ronaldo, Kane or Lukaku, because I much prefer, you know, a strong spread of 11, strong 11, rather than having, you know, let's say three 12 million guys, and then you're going to have someone like a Liveramento or, a, you know, a 4 million or a 4.5 million midfielder in your team. But again, it's this could be the season. Every FPL season is different. And this could be the season where people who shoehorn in Lukaku, Ronaldo and Salah and Trent, maybe those will be the managers who come out on top. And that's that's the beauty of FPL. There's no right or, way wrong to, wrong, right or wrong way to play it. And we'll only know that at the end of the season, which why it's one of the things that makes it such a, such a good game and, and why so many people play it. And I suppose like if we're going to speak about traps or misconceptions when it comes to fantasy football, I mean, typically, you know, I haven't played the game for a long time, such as myself. I'm more inclined to pick, I was more inclined to pick players over the years once I see selected by 43.6% of the rest of the players. I mean, what would you say about something specific like that? It's almost akin to fear of missing out. For me at the moment, I'm just looking at my team and I'm looking at the matrix I have for the next few game weeks. I'm like, there's no way I can afford not to have Ronaldo on my team when I say he's going to be selected by 40% of the other players. Yeah, that's, I think, arguably the biggest challenge nowadays for fantasy managers is the, the fear of missing out. And it's, it's been, you know, it's been blown up by, by social media. You know, most serious fantasy managers now probably do use things like Twitter or Reddit to, you know, to get their news. But while you're on there getting your news, you're seeing an awful lot of other stuff, in particular, you know, people posting their teams, people who, you know, posting their captains, and it's hard. It's really hard. Um, and I'm going back to that example of Ronaldo against Newcastle in Game Week Four. So, you know, it, my experience is telling me that I shouldn't sell Bruno for a minus four when he's playing against Newcastle. He's a very good captaincy option, but then I've definitely got the fear of missing out on a. A Ronaldo hat trick on his homecoming. Um, you know, in particular, while I'm there, if that happened, it would probably take away a little bit from my enjoyment of the day. So, yeah, fear of missing out. When it comes to ownership, it's something I've never, I never let it influence me. I think it's it's impossible to say that I do that 100% because it's it's in your face all the time nowadays. You've got you know people talking about effective ownership now, so. I, I, I hate effective ownership because before I knew what it was, I would cheer every single goal from one of my players. But now if I've got, let's say I've got Bruno and I don't have him captain, sometimes if he scores, you know, my rank drops, even though I own him. So I would rather just not know that that was a thing because it does kind of, it, it takes away a bit of the enjoyment of the game. It's, it's very annoying that you can play a game and one of your picks scores and it actually goes against you. Um, I guess maybe one of the flaws of the game. I'm not a big fan of captaincy, and that's you know that's that's why why that happens. But yeah, ownership again. Going back to your question, it's something I try as much as possible to avoid, um, and I and I try to never let it come into my decision making. And again, the Ronaldo example, I don't know what his ownership is right now because I haven't looked at it. But I but you can always guess what a player's ownership is anyway. I know it's going to be 
ridiculously high for game week four, even though he's only been in the game for for two weeks. Um, but again, the decision won't be, I won't be buying him because I'm afraid he's going to hurt me because of his ownership. It's more, you know, it's, I'm thinking about the points. I think Ronaldo is going to be a better option than Bruno long-term. Uh, I also think we probably need to have a striker now over 10 million. I don't have one. So this is an opportunity to move to an expensive striker. Ronaldo can be there for a couple of weeks and then he can easily become Lukaku or Kane. So it's not it's not because of ownership or fear. It's because I think he's going to be a very good FPL option. And I like the, the team structure as well with a, with a big striker now. It's interesting when you talk about fear there. It's almost akin to self-sabotage as a football fan. You know, I hear so many fans these days hedging their bets necessarily, you know, betting against their club when they're going to games. <laughs> just, you know, just in the advent, their team doesn't win or possibly draw. But for those players, Mark, you know, they haven't got off to a flying start. Um, they're lingering down the table after th- only three game weeks. I mean, should they be looking at pulling the wildcard trigger as of yet? Yeah, well, I think if, you, if you've had a bad start, the most important thing to remember is it's it's game week. We've only, we've only just had game week three. You know, you've got, what, 35, 36 game weeks still to go. It's it's very, very early days. And, and rank means very, very little at the moment. Also, your mini league position means very, very little because everyone's still very bunched together. You know, even if you've, even if one of your rivals have got off to a good start, it's unlikely that they're going to be, you know, a hundred points ahead of you. You know, maybe, maybe 50 or 60, but that's over the course of a season, that's a point or two a game week that you need to get back, which is very achievable. Um, so the, the, my advice to people who've had a bad start is always uh, not to panic. Uh, and I think the wildcard decision, it shouldn't be based on whether you've had a good start or a bad start. It should be based on, how healthy or unhealthy your squad is looking. So if it's a bit of a mess, then yeah, wild card, absolutely. But if your squad's in good shape, uh, maybe the players haven't got you the point so far. But if your squad looks good on paper, um, you know, I do like waiting that little bit longer for the wild card just for for information because we're we're starting to read a few things into the season, but it's still quite dangerous to do so because three weeks is a tiny, tiny proportion of the season. It's a very small sample size. And and we know FPL how quickly it can change in one week. So, you know, if you give your wildcard another two or three weeks, you've got, you know, double the amount of information and you can probably make much more, you know, better informed decisions. So again, it comes down to wildcards, you come down to how your squad is, not what your rank is. Okay. And then we touched briefly upon earlier on someone such as Liveramento at Southampton, you know, more than ever this season, budget enablers are going to be huge to free up cash elsewhere. I see you put up an interesting thread on Twitter the other day, Mark. Perhaps you could elaborate a bit more on some of the best budget enablers this season we could be looking at in defence, midfield and attack. Yeah, so again, the traditional manager in me is saying, I don't want to have two, four million defenders. But if we're going to fit all these big hitters in, and let's face it, the fun way to play FPL is to have as many of these big hitting players as, as, you, as you can in your squad. So there is a lot. Livermento looks looks really good. Um, you know, I think he's got a good chance of keeping his place in the team because he's had a very good start this season. He looks pretty good going forward as well. I know Southampton are are pretty poor defensively, but four million, you're not you're not asking for much. Even if you get, you know, you know, three or four assists over the course of the season, you probably would be good value because there'll be I'm sure there will be the all clean sheet in there. You know, we've got players like you know, Brandon Williams has gone to Norwich now as well. Again, a team that are not going to keep many clean sheets. But again, a good budget enabler. So I do like the idea of you, you, you still want to have three good defenders. 
So, you know, for example, you could have a Trent, a Shaw, and then maybe maybe a very good 4.5 or a 5 million defender, and they would be your staple three starters every week because these 4 million guys, you don't really want to have to play them too often. So you could have, you know, I am open to the idea of having two 4 million guys on the bench this season where I, I never really would be in the past, but I think we've got a few decent ones, uh, the two other I mentioned, and then that allows you to have that, you know, extra bit of cash elsewhere. Uh, and then in midfield, there's, there's a few emerging, you know, around the, the 5 million, the 5.5. You know, I still think Smith Rowe could become an option. Now the fixtures are improving for Arsenal. I think he's dropped in price as well. Players like Mbwemo at Brentford looks good. Damari Gray has looked really good at Everton. I think he's only 5.5 or 5.6. And then up front, we're probably not really looking for too many budget because I think most people are still going to try and fit in three strikers. Uh, Antonio is going to be one. Then, you know, a big one, Ronaldo, Lukaku or Kane. But then, you know, if you maybe those who are going 3-5-2 or 4-4-2, um, you know, a player like Dennis at Watford, possibly. Again, you never really want to go, going to want to use this guy. You know, you really want to try and keep these guys on the bench as much as possible. So yeah, there there is options out there. Uh, in particular, I think um, you know, there's a couple of four million defenders, and then those five point five million midfielders. You know, those are the, they're going to be the most important players this season. If you can get those right, then you can jump around. You can use your transfers on the big guys. So yeah, we've got to try and get these cheap guys in who hopefully we can keep all season and not and not worry about them. Very interesting. You're describing it almost akin to managing a financial portfolio. And I suppose one interesting question, which I'm sure listeners of this podcast would love to hear, is I suppose throughout your tenure doing fantasy football, Mark, have you noticed any trends perhaps as to occupations or people working in specific industries that do well in the game? Yeah, I'll just touch on the financial side of it first. I've noticed over, maybe even over the last year or two, I find myself using a lot more lingo from the financial world. You know, I'll always use the word asset, um, you know, long-term investment versus short-term investment and stuff like that. So there's obviously a big crossover there. You know, I'm a manager who likes to, when, when I buy a player with my transfer, I, I, I hope that that player will be in my team for the, the whole season. That's the way I approach transfers because I, I like to make as few transfers as possible. So I'm always looking to make a long-term investment when I buy a player. Uh, and then in terms of occupations and stuff, the only thing that comes to mind with that question is it's not really an occupation unless they're professionals, but poker players seem to poker players seem to come across and, and do very well uh, at FPL because I think there's obviously a big crossover there as well. In particular, probably dealing with, you know, variance, bad luck and stuff like that. They probably cope with it better than the everyday manager. Uh, they probably don't panic into decisions or, or early transfers or point sets and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's, there's that. in particular, I, I play a lot of um, daily fantasy games as well, which is, you know, just pick a team for one weekend and, you know, reading some articles about that or, or tips and stuff very often. You see that you see the same names at the top of the leaderboard most weeks, even though there's so much variance involved. Um, and again, a lot of those guys tend to be ex poker players or, or current poker players. So there's there's definitely a big crossover there, and we've seen it with with um, you know chess as well. Look at Magnus Carlsen, you know the world world champion. Um, obviously, a very strategy based game. I don't know anything about it, but for anyone to be the world chess champion. And he was number one in FPL at one point out of 
seven or eight million people. You know, that that always reminds me that there's there's definitely skill involved in this game as well as luck. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, as we begin the end of the conversation, Mark, you know, this is something that originated as your hobby, became a passion, and now it's your full-time career. But, you know, we've heard of so many stories over Twitter over the past few years of people being just consumed 24-7 by the game of fantasy football. I mean, is there anything in particular you do now to switch off or have you any other hobbies or interests outside of deciding who's going to be your captain for the forthcoming weekend? If I'm being totally honest about it, I find it very, very hard to switch off. Um, and I'm just glad that it it is my income and it is my job because chances are I think I would still be doing just as much of it if it was still a hobby. So it kind of justifies the obsession. Um in terms of switching off, so I spend, you know, I usually spend Monday to Friday uh, working on FPL. Uh, but I think routine, I think like anything in life, if you've got a good routine and if you can master that and be, you know, be strict with yourself about that, that's the best way to be able to switch off. So, for example, you know, I'll take my wife to work in the morning, won't start work till 10 o'clock and pick her up at four, half past four. And, and as soon as I go to pick her up, laptops off try not to switch it on again for the evening obviously it's very hard because you've got your phone with you most of the time then at the weekends I switch off as well so I don't I don't watch very many games live at all because when it comes to the FPL deadline I'm usually sick to the sick to the teeth of FPL haven't spoke about it all week and haven't watched all the previous weekends games so what I do usually is um just record the games at the weekend and get out with my wife uh, and make the most of the weekend and then I'll watch them Monday Tuesday you know, when she's at work, just it allows for, you know, a better quality of life. And I find if you watch games live as an FPL manager, it's an emotional roller coaster. And, and I don't think I cope well with that myself. I'll find myself getting annoyed during the game. You know, it'll be, I'll be on a high at certain points of the game if my players are doing well. But I find when I watch the game live, I just focus on my players. Whereas if I watch the game after the fact, I know the score, I know who's got the points. I feel like I can watch it with a, with a clear picture and I'm watching, you know, all 22 players rather than just the, the two or three that are in my, my FPL team. I hope that means you're not going to necessarily triple captain Ronaldo <laughs> before. The don't, uh, return to... don't, don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. I, I can't, I, I can't rule it out. I can't rule it out. And I suppose to close Merrick, I mean, we've seen the tremendous growth of yourself and fantasy football within the past decade. I mean, right now you're a Patreon subscriber you had you you host two three different podcasts. You know you have a fairly prominent role within the industry. But I suppose with money in the future, I mean, what are your plans going forward? Yeah, it's um, I've been full time. I think it's exactly three years now. Um, you know, it feels like I've been doing it forever. You know, it's I'm very lucky. People people always say to me, you know, it's it's always quite hard to explain to people. I, I just actually bumped into my neighbour yesterday for the first time and he, he was asking me what I do and it's it's always very, very hard to explain, especially to, to a retired man in his 70s, you know, trying to explain what I do for a living. They kind of just look at you with as if you have two heads. But um, yeah, in terms of, of the future, you know, I'm I'm hoping that, you know, I've put enough time and, and work into what, you know, my, you know, Twitter and stuff over the last few years that hopefully now it will be sustainable for the foreseeable future. You know, it's, it's my dream to, to work in fancy now for for the rest of my career, however long that is, Un, until I until I win FPL, then I can just put my feet up and retire. Uh, in terms of fantasy as a whole, yeah, I know you mentioned the last decade in terms of growth. I think even even the last three or four years, it's it's absolutely crazy the, the growth and how quickly 
season on season that more and more numbers get into. I think COVID actually did a lot for fantasy because, you know, for me, it actually was quite scary at the start when the football was was cancelled for a few months. It was a bit scary when it's your job. But what I found was when it came back, there was people who had never played fantasy before got into it because they're working from home, they're watching the games, or people who maybe didn't take it as seriously before during covid that was their opportunity to, to jump in and take it more seriously because it was an escape from from everything that was going on outside. So I think COVID actually was good for FPL as a whole. I think it's got more people engaged. And I just, I, I still think it's early days for fantasy in the UK. You mentioned America, obviously. I always think they're probably about 10, 10 years ahead of us in terms of fantasy sports. It's obviously absolutely huge over there. You know, two and three hour TV shows, you know, Red Zone or whatever it's called on the weekends. I know my, my brother's into it. He was watching that. So I would hope at some point in the future, you know, I seen Gary Lineker tweeting uh, the other day. You know, he mentions fancy football sometimes himself, but then he put a tweet out a couple of days ago or a couple of weeks ago, um, having a go at people for posting their fancy football teams online. Um, but what I foresee, hopefully, in five to 10 years time is, you know, there'll be a fancy analyst on match of the day with Gary Lineker or they'll be going to a fancy analyst for for their views on the game because I think that's the way it's going. You know, so many people play it; it's a huge part of people's lives. And if it keeps growing the way it is, you know, it's it's only a matter of time before it's on mainstream television. Of course, you can't rule out anything, especially match of today. We all remember the past few years as soon as we saw that expected goals metric at the bottom of the screen. Exactly. Yeah, none of us was. none of us expected to see that. So, I mean, if if that's a possibility, surely there's a. Uh, an opportunity there for a for a fantasy segment of the show, or at least a a fantasy perspective from from one of the from one of the guests. I'm sure we all have reservations too when we heard Danny Murphy speaking about set piece coaches last week. So <laughs> it's one exactly. to keep an eye out on for sure. But Merrick, thanks very much for coming on. But for all those listening who wish to engage with your content or hear a bit more about your own musings on fantasy football, where's best to catch you? Yeah, I'm most active on Twitter, at FPL General, and I do a weekly podcast called The Athletic FPL Podcast, so you find that in all the usual podcast platforms. Fantastic. Thanks for coming on, Mark. Cheers for having me, Connor.